0: bonus episode of Sleep Whispers. If you like TV shows like Survivor, Man vs. Wild, Naked and Afraid, Alone, or any show about surviving in nature using only your wits and a paperclip, then I think you'll enjoy this episode. What you are about to hear will sound like a survival story, but it is actually a survival guide written to sound like a survival story. This means that you can just lay back and pretend That this is a true survival story or a fictional survival story about some dude just trying to survive in the woods. But remember, this is actually a survival guide filled with tips, real tips, for how to survive in the wilderness. So, how you listen is up to you. You can listen passively and just enjoy the story as it unfolds. Or you can listen and allow your brain squirrels to chew on the helpful survival tips that are embedded inside the story. Either way, I hope it helps to distract your squirrels, so you can slowly drift off to sleep. I hope you enjoy it. My Wilderness Survival Story, Part 1, Fire and Food. Canoes can be a challenge, tippy-tippy little things. It all happened in the twinkling of an eye. I turned quickly at a sudden cry from Joe, who was my guide. His paddle had broken, and he tossed it aside. Then he leaped forward for the extra paddle. But before he could reach it, the canoe swerved and swung broadside to the rushing current. It crashed against the jagged rocks and in the next instant I was floundering about in the icy, swirling water. Bumping against the rocks, struggling for breath, battling frantically with the torrent, I was swept down the river. Suddenly, my foot touched a hard object. I threw all of my last remaining strength into a kick and then lost consciousness. After a bit, I slowly opened my eyes, and I could see blue skies above me. For some time I just marveled and rejoiced to be alive and out of that cold river. With a mighty effort, I sat up. I found myself on the brink of a little precipice. In a moment, I realized how I had escaped. My final kick had driven me beyond the sweep of the current. I had been washed up on the edge of the waterfall, and my position had allowed the water to drain from my lungs. I was still terribly weak and choking with the water that I had swallowed. With the utmost difficulty, I half crawled, half waded to the shore, and threw myself on the moss-covered bank. I felt warm rays of sunshine penetrating from the foliage above. Although I was saved by the merest chance, I knew that my plight was still desperate. I was alone in the heart of the great woods, miles from civilization or any settlements. I was without food, weapons, shelter, or anything besides the clothes on my back and a few items in my pocket. Possibly, I thought, the canoe might be washed ashore with its contents, or Joe might be safe and somewhere around here. With these hopes in my mind, I rose and slowly walked along the river's bank. I was now rapidly regaining my strength with the aid of a stout pole of dead wood which I had picked up. I had little trouble in making my way up the stream. I called out Joe's name, but only the soft echo of the woods replied to me. After I trudged on, calling and ever-searching, edges of the stream and the eddies for the wreckage of the canoe, but I didn't find a sign of my guide or of my vessel. At last I was firmly convinced that Joe had been lost and that the canoe and its contents were gone forever. I seated myself on a log and tried to collect myself and think ahead for the future. It would have been bad enough to be cast away in a country which I knew, but here I felt completely at a loss. I had put my total trust in Joe, and I knew nothing of this wilderness, nor of the direction or route to the settlements or any towns. To make matters worse, my compass had been lost in the river. That lost compass, though, was really the least of my troubles. I figured that I could just determine which direction was east and which was west by looking at the sun. I had also heard that the moss grew thickest on one side of trees, but I couldn't remember if that was the north side or the south side. I also knew in a general way that the settlements were southward from the camp we had left. I knew that Joe had expected to reach them by running down with the current, paddling across a lake, and then tramping through the woods. He had stated that the entire trip would take about five days. However, I couldn't even guess how many miles we had traveled before the canoe tipped over. I had not taken any notice of the turns and the twists in the river, for all I knew, the stream might flow east or even north at the spot where I had crawled ashore. If I attempted to travel in any direction, using the flow of the current as my guide, I might easily travel directly away from assistance and civilization. Maybe my best plan would just be to follow the banks of the river. This would mean many long days of tramping alone and unguided through the great forest. I regretted having trusted so completely to Joe that I hadn't paid any attention to the surroundings as we swept down the stream. For that matter, I had not even asked for information which would have proved so valuable to me now. But I was wasting valuable time by spending the few remaining hours of daylight in regrets. I was thankful for the few odds and ends of woodcraft and forest lore that I had picked up during my life in the woods. I noticed my clothing was still a little wet. With the passing of sunlight, the air had become chilly, and I was starting to shiver. I strode back and forth swinging my arms and trying to exercise so I could regain the circulation of my blood and a little feeling of warmth. Activity, even of this force sort, did me a world of good and I began to plan for my immediate wants. While I wasn't hungry at the moment, that food would also become a pressing need by the following morning. In the meantime, though, a warm shelter would be a necessity before night fell. Shelter without warmth would be of little value. I thought with longing of the roaring fires which Joe had built before our camps each night. I had a crazy hope that at least one good match might still remain in my pockets. I sought feverishly and emptied every single one of my pockets onto a smooth rock. My total possessions were the following. A small bunch of keys, a few small coins, a handkerchief, a jackknife, and some matches. But the matches were useless because the phosphorus on their tips had been completely soaked off in the water. I gazed at these items with disappointment, only the knife really seemed to have any value at this point. With it, I thought I might be able to fashion a bow drill and spindle and thus obtain fire. I had done this before when playing old-time pioneer as a kid, but I knew the difficulty in obtaining the proper kinds of wood. I also realized that a search for them would consume a lot of valuable time, I only had maybe an hour or two of daylight remaining. Then I remembered that a fire could also be started with flint and steel. I knew that the blades of my jackknife were made of steel, but I didn't know if I'd be able to find any flint in this area. I got up, made my way to the stony edge of the river, and looked very carefully for bits of rock which resembled flint. Each piece that struck my fancy I tried with my knife, and I could see some faint bright sparks. So each one of those I put in my pocket, I then retraced my way to the rock, where I had left my other possessions. I was now ready to try my hand at obtaining fire by means of my knife and the stones that might be flint. I realized that the tiny sparks which I could obtain in this way would never ignite a twig or even a bit of bark. What I needed was small tinder, something that could catch the spark and then be fanned to a flame. As I was thinking of this, my gaze fell on a black-edged hole in my handkerchief. It had been burned a couple days ago by a spark from Joe's pipe. I gave a shout of joy as I suddenly realized that this solved my puzzle. I still needed some dried wood, though, to catch the fire once I did start it. I hurried into the woods to gather some dead twigs and dried bark. I soon returned with an armful of firewood. I placed it next to a rock that I would use as a base for my fire project. I gathered the handkerchief into a loosely crumpled mass and placed it on the rock. I held the most promising part of my flint-like stones close to it and struck the stone sharply with the back. Of my knife blade. Sure enough, a little shower of sparks flew forth, but none fell on the handkerchief. Again and again I tried. Each time I held the stone in a different position, and I tried my best to cause the sparks to fall on the handkerchief. Finally, I gathered the cloth in my hand. I held the flintstone in the midst of the vaults and struck it. Sparks gleamed against the handkerchief, but no sign of charring cloth or wisp of smoke rewarded me. Surely, I thought, These sparks must be as hot as the tiny glowing ember from Joe's pipe. I unfolded and examined the handkerchief around the burned spot. Perhaps, I thought, just perhaps, the area near the burned part of the cloth was more flammable than the rest. Once again, I gathered up the handkerchief, then I struck it with my knife. Carefully, I examined the cloth. I then cried aloud in triumph. At one edge of the charred hole, a tiny speck of red glowed and then spread rapidly in size. Carefully, I blew on it. I folded another corner of the cloth against it and waved it back and forth. Brighter and brighter it gleamed. A tiny thread of smoke rose from it, and an instant later a little tongue of flame sprang from the cotton. Using the flame from the handkerchief, I easily ignited a piece of birch bark and then pushed it into a pile of dried twigs and sticks. My next move was a very important one. Once the twigs were on fire, I put out the fire that was consuming my handkerchief. I now coveted this handkerchief more than gold. It would be the key to starting more fires. I squatted before the blazing fire and reveled in the comforting warmth of its glow. Although it was too late to build a shelter, at least I knew that I could keep warm. My next important task was to gather great piles of branches and wood the flames during the night. Several large logs were close by. With much labor, I dragged these to the fire and placed them near at hand to use later on when I went to sleep. Once the fire was blazing merrily and an ample supply of fuel was at hand, I felt weary beyond words, and absolutely worn out. Sitting still, I also discovered that I was very hungry. I hadn't eaten for a while, and had worked strenuously on surviving the river and creating fire. Feeling famished was my new mindset. Stop thinking about food. The sun had set, so there was no hope of finding berries, roots, or other edibles in the woods. I had no means of catching game or fish, even though I knew they were abundant. I suddenly remembered having seen a number of freshwater mussels in the shallow parts of the river when I was out hunting for that flint. I've never eaten mussels, but I was pretty confident that they were edible. Now, I didn't have a flashlight of Pine cone still stuck on it, and I just set the pine cone ablaze. That did the trick. I slowly waved my new stick torch around and smiled. I next made my way to the shore and found those pools noticed the mollusks previously. I searched around and I found some. There really weren't that many. I found about a dozen, but I was happy with that. That would be a lot better than nothing. I carried them back to where my fire was, and in a few moments I had them baking on a bed of hot stones. I'm not sure if it was raw hunger or not, but those mussels tasted amazing. There weren't that many, but it was enough to drive away the most pressing pangs of my hunger. And now I just... I just felt like, laying down, I was exhausted. I piled several huge logs in the fire and created sort of a bed out of a bunch of fir branches. I laid down on it, and then instantly I fell into a deep, dreamless sleep. I was awakened. The next morning, by a shaft of sunlight striking my face, my first thought was of the fire. I looked over, and it looked like it had completely burned out. However, on closer inspection, I could see a thread of bluish smoke rising from the heap of ashes I raked these aside, and I thrust bits of birch bark amid the embers. Soon I had a new blaze. I piled the fire high with dry wood to get it fully rejuvenated. I was wonderfully strengthened and refreshed by my long sleep, but now my hunger had come back in full swing. As soon as the fire was going well, I hurried to the river to try to find more mussels. I found a few here and a few there, and once again I had a meal of about a dozen or so mussels. I knew these mussels were limited in supply and as well nutrition, so I had to begin searching for other food sources. Had I possessed a firearm or fishing gear, then my plight wouldn't have been that bad because I knew there was lots of wildlife and fish all around me. As I ate my mussels, I tried to think of some way that I might be able to secure some of this wildlife or fish, but every plan that occurred to me was spoiled by some unsurmountable obstacle. I had often snared game and have even caught partridges with a slender noose on the end of a pole. In the north woods, these so bright. They kind of stupidly sit on the low fir trees, and they allow hunters to just walk up to them with these nooses and pull them from their perches without even taking flight. But creating one of these snares required a fine line and a slender wire, and I had neither. Fishing with a line was also no good because I didn't have a hook. Then the possibility of a bow and arrow came to me. But I really needed to find feathers and suitable sharp stones, and that could be quite a challenge. Then I thought of a spear. That seemed a bit easier than creating a bow and arrow, and I might be able to spear land or water animals with it. I found a straight light stick, and I whittled the tip into a sharp point with some small barbs in it. I took my spear to the river, and I stood over some deeper areas by the edge. Occasionally, I saw a small fish, but rarely anything that was large enough to stick on my spear. For a couple of hours, I did a series of thrust, miss, retrieve my spear. Thrust, miss, retrieve my spear. <laughs> At last, though, my determination and patience paid off, and I caught a fish. It was big enough to cook, but more importantly, it gave me hope that I could get food with this method. I cut the fish in half, tossed the innards, and boiled it on some hot stones. I picked the cooked meat from the inside. It was another amazing meal. Everything seems to taste amazing when you're famished. Although I just wanted to lie on some moss and soak up the sunshine, I knew what my next task had to be. I needed to protect myself from the cold air the wet rain, and from potential predators at night. Yup. My next task was to build a shelter. This is the end of part one. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear part two in a future bonus episode, then Just let me know. Thank you for supporting my podcasts. I truly appreciate it.